This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, episode 13. Hopefully you're having a great one on this Monday, August the 10th. I'm absolutely loving the fact that I'm here with you talking pro wrestling. Hopefully you are feeling the same exact way. First things first though, we appreciate the hell out of you for listening in, be it through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or even straight up through 1037thegame.com or even our free mobile app. You can download that for iPhone or Android. Trust me. You need to download it. Just search 1037 The Game. We are the exclusive pro wrestling podcast for Acadiana's number one sports station. And I'm going to start off kind of going towards Acadiana area, at least relative to some stuff that happened back in the day involving Mid-South Wrestling because an absolute icon of the sport sadly passed away on Sunday. It was announced on Sunday at least that Kamala, born as James Harris, passed away and it was reported yesterday by WWE, along with a lot of other people, including the Cauliflower Alley Club. And I was absolutely disheartened to hear that one of the greats in the sport of pro wrestling, especially back in the 80s in Mid-South Wrestling, he was one of the big draws alongside Hacksaw Jim Duggan. You got JYD, the Freebirds, and everything in between. He was such a huge draw back in the day, and it made me kind of look back to his story. And again, I talked about All Access Wrestling last week. The AAW second show they ever did with the Bikini Contest. You can listen back to the episode after you listen to this one, of course, because I've got a lot of thoughts about the current product of pro wrestling. But I was blown away by the fact that for two straight weeks, I'm opening up the show talking about one of my favorite things, and that is All Access Wrestling, a promotion that used to be around in the Acadiana area from 2002 to 2003, RIP in peace. I remember going to the last show they had and that was amazing to see AJ Styles and Alex Skipper in a two out of three falls match. But then this isn't about that. It's We're going back to the very first show. This was back in 2002 in November. And I got, it was front row seats. For, and the main event was, it was billed as the last dance. It was going to be the last time you see Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, and Kamala square off in the ring. And it was nuts. And I was about like 13 years old when this happened. So I never got to see any of the stuff with... JYD or any of the Mid-South stuff to understand the storyline behind Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Kamala. But I loved Hacksaw Jim Duggan back in WCW. I remember seeing him a lot carrying that 2x4. So I remember Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I remember all those stories and seeing him in the ring for WCW. So I was excited for that. But I was more excited because I knew how huge he was back in the day. He was such an amazing talent for the WWE as well as Mid-South Wrestling. I always saw some of his stuff. I mean, he was part of the WrestleMania 17 gimmick battle royal, but I hadn't necessarily seen him in full gear going all out, and I will never forget seeing him and the reaction of that crowd. That crowd came unglued the second Hacksaw Jim Duggan came out. It was such a, like, a cool moment to begin with at the Robo Show Center that night because it was such a like packed house. And this was all for Hacksaw versus Kamala. They had t-shirts printed out. I was there for Hacksaw versus Kamala. They hyped this up so much on This Week in Wrestling back in the day on AOC and everything in between. So the fact that you were able to see this kind of match in 2002 towards the end of both of their 
long-term and full-time careers as wrestlers. Mind you, they wound up having spot segments on WWE programming over the years, and TNA in some cases with Kamala, who showed up all over the place with TNA and what was going on with WWE at the time. So I think we can say right here, right now, Kamala has definitely had a big influence on the sport of professional wrestling. And I'll always remember seeing him show up that night and the crowd going absolutely ape for both people. It wasn't necessarily a face versus heel match. This was legend versus legend, icon versus icon, and an old-school Mid-South match that got people going and got people packed into the Show Center. I'd probably say the Show Center on a really decent night probably held around like I'd say 300 to 400 people. I might be going a little bit like on the safe side because they had a really decent setup, to say the least. You had the bleachers. You also had the front row seats. They were probably about like 10. And I think there was some standing room only as well. So at the end of the day, they had a really solid setup for a big-name wrestling show. And this was really a top-level card from top to bottom. You had AJ Styles, David Young, and they I mean one of their cards. This is one of the third cards because I wound up doing a little internet wayback machine. Doctor Death versus Rick Steiner was a main event, and I never got to see that, and I'm so disappointed because that would have been one hell of a fight to see a man that's now known as Schoolboard. If you listen to what happened when with Tony Schiavone, you know how awesome that match would have been to see that live and in living color. But I was talking about All Access Wrestling on last week's show. I'm bringing it up again this week for a very distinctive reason. But I'm also in the process of trying to get somebody who was a big part of this week in wrestling and AAW and how things went down. We're trying to get somebody on for the podcast down the road. So make sure you keep it locked on Cajun Strong Style through social media at C-A-J-N Strong Style or even through my Twitter account at Clint Domang. You can follow both of us on there and also make sure to follow at 103.7 The Game. But, you know, just again, rest in peace to a great pro wrestling a great icon in the sport and that is the late great kamala r.i.p to a legend all right you're listening to the cajun strong style podcast 1037 the game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast and without a doubt one of the big things that i noticed over the last week in wrestling was what happened with the wwe because I think they definitely took a lot of the headlines from the sport of pro wrestling because they wound up giving us something that we're going to wind up just getting absolutely angry at for a long time. And justifiably so. You've seen what has happened with the WWE and how they are booking things. The Raw Underground angle, first of all. That was really weird, but I was into it. I just wish they had given it more time because I would have loved for that to be an entire hour of programming and make it its own little universe. Make it its own little multiverse for Shane McMahon or whoever to play with. Rather than, oh wait, you go from Raw Underground back to the regular Raw set. I think Raw Underground could have been absolutely amazing. But it was just like very much quick hits. And then you saw all those camera cuts. Kevin Dunn was practically having a seizure pushing all those damn buttons. And it was frustrating to me to see that continue to be a big issue for the WWE. is just their production. It's almost, it's too slick. There's way too many camera cuts. In the action, you don't need to have that, especially if you want to treat it like this is a worked shoot environment where the WWE is putting together a great idea, but they're not necessarily executing it the best way they can to fill that third hour with some really cool content. I think you can do a fight club type setup, and I think it'd be a lot more fun. Now, mind you, they did a lot more blood sport kumite where it's very much 
like quick and fast and you see him get knocked out in like 30 seconds. If you had it be more like a MMA fight, maybe a work shoot with no ropes, I'd have a lot more fun watching that and you'd have a lot more of a long-form program over the course of that third hour to make sure people are interested in seeing what's going to happen with Raw Underground on Raw at 9 o'clock. Because nobody's really tuning in to the third hour. The third hour needs a specific hook. Because I remember back in the day with Raw's War and Warzone. Raw's War was very much a lot, a little bit cleaner. Mind you, they definitely were a little rougher on the edges sometimes during the 8 o'clock hour. At least 8 o'clock hour time over here in Acadian where it's Central Time. And then the 9 o'clock hour would always be the more edgy product. Would be when you hear more some bitches and you hear more of the middle fingers and, and the beer drinking and all that other stuff that Stone Cold loved to do. Meanwhile, you look at Raw, hour one, hour two, hour three, it's all kind of an interconnecting story, and they do like to do that, and I love that. But at the end of the day, I think I also need something that's going to tell me, hey, tune into Monday Night Raw to find out what's going to happen from last week's Raw Underground or what have you. Something that's a specific hook that's different than anything else that we presented in hour one or hour two. Hour 3 needs to be a very different hour overall. And I like the, what they did last year with the Raw Dark, I guess it was. What they wanted to call it, but didn't call it anything. It just happened for one week, and then they moved on. I like the idea of a Raw where you can have an old, your own little multiverse, if you will. Because, again, I think booking for three hours of programming is a huge pain in the neck. I've heard Kevin Nash talk about that a lot in a shoot interview. But when you're booking three hours of programming, I think it'd be better to book two hours of programming for Raw, and then the third hour you can book as its own little multiverse and have a lot of fun in terms of be it cinematic matches, be it, you know, obviously something like Raw Underground or what's going on with the Antifa gimmick, which is really what it is. It's very much a veiled reference to it, but it does not make sense to me. It's still a weird time to be talking about the fact that they're running an angle involving these hooded people throwing, you know, Molotov cocktails into generators, knocking out the power, and then they've got them running the ring, beating up the performance center people. It was very, and seeing them destroy the ring and the chainsaws and everything. I just could not get into the fact that that was the thing that they did in 2020, and also the fact they did this in 2020. And are treating this like it's not a political angle. It is a political angle. It very much feels like it's WWE saying, hey, we're, we're going to talk about Antifa. We're going to talk about all these things. When you don't need to talk about those things at all in 2020. I don't understand the gimmick. I don't know why they're doing it. And it's absolutely unnecessary. It's something that's going to turn off a lot of people. Because honestly, we get away. We watch wrestling, at least in my case. I watch wrestling to get away from a lot of the BS and the, and the crap that's been going on in this country. It's an escape route. It's a lot like sports in general. You know, we watch wrestling to enjoy ourselves, to get away from some of the stresses of our everyday life. I think a big reason why the WWE excelled extremely well back in the 2000s and the late 90s was because of the fact that they embraced that and wanted this to be a true escape. You would never beat up your boss and then like Stone Cold stun him in real life. But Stone Cold did that with Vince McMahon every week, and we ate that stuff up because it's what we want to do, but we can't do because of obvious reasons. But it's amazing to think about what they did back then and what they're trying to do now and incorporate pop culture and politics without saying it's politics. It's absolutely frustrating to me as a wrestling fan of 2020 who wants to watch wrestling for the sake of 
doing the whole getaway thing. Not necessarily shutting my brain off for three hours is basically how I think about it. I'll look at it from a critical perspective from time to time, especially if it's a big pay-per-view and I'm into a lot of the great storylines like Extreme Rules. I'll definitely break that down like crazy. What happened on Dynamite? I'll get to it in a little bit because that definitely is a little bit of a different hook as well. I just feel like now more than ever, WWE has become what we hate or at least the majority of people do dislike about sports right now. The sports climate is very much... You know, hey, we're going to talk about all these things that make people uncomfortable because we need to have that honest discussion. And we do. But if I'm watching pro wrestling, especially when I think about what the typical demographic is for a pro wrestling company, it definitely leans a lot more towards the Republican side of things. I don't like to get into politics that much, but it just, on paper, that's typically what it is. And I can say right here, right now, that probably turned a lot of people off them bringing politics into sports entertainment and they've done it for a long time they've done this in the past but i feel like it was just a scotch too much to try and run that angle it was not necessarily as similar as what happened back in 2005 when muhammad Hassan had the terrorist angle that was happened like incidentally on the same day as the london bombings this was taped on a tuesday and aired on a i think it was thursday at the time it still hadn't flip the switch over to Friday nights. I'm probably wrong about that, but I think it was before they jumped to Friday night SmackDown when the Muhammad Hassan angle happened. So that was probably a Thursday, but they ran the angle anyways. This is something similar, but obviously nothing happened to make you think, Oh, Hey, like, like let's say Antifa didn't go and blow something up at that time frame, And they basically said, we're going to go ahead and do it this way, but it's still such a bad look. For a publicly traded company to run an angle like that in 2020. I was absolutely disappointed by it. I was interested by what's going to happen now. Are they still going to be the performance center? Because now the ring got destroyed. What's, what's going to happen there? Are they just going to replace the ring? New ropes and then move on? Clean up the graffiti they had? Are they going to go SummerSlam on a boat? Is that still an option? Is that still going to be rumor in your window for the next several months? There's a lot of different conversations that we can have concerning the future of WWE and how they're going to be presenting their product with this retribution stable, or is again, it's pretty much Antifa. I think we can all agree on that front, but it's so tasteless. And this is a year where most things that WWE has been doing has been pretty damn tasteless from, you know, Hector Garza, basically angel Garza, excuse me, angel Garza going ahead and looking the side of a woman's face as a global pandemic is really getting in a high gear, especially here stateside, and the fact that they continue to run shows despite all the stuff with COVID-19 and everything else going on with the WWE. Dave Meltzer's got his work cut out for him in terms of trying to figure out the most scummy tactic of 2020, even though I feel like WWE bringing in the part-timers might take the cake considering the fact that they brought in Ric Flair, whose wife contracted COVID-19, and let him still be a part of Monday Night Raw. It's absolutely infuriating, but hopefully the WWE can figure something out to make this situation a little bit better. And welcome back to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 103.7 Games exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in however you're doing so, be it through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever you listen. However you're listening to us, we appreciate the hell out of you. 
But, you know, I want to bring up, I was talking about the, the political aspect of how WWE's been doing things with the Retribution stable, even though, again, it's very much Antifa. But what AEW's done over the last couple weeks, I didn't necessarily talk much about what AEW did a couple weeks ago. They're definitely leaning more into the political stuff, and I'm, I'm okay with it at least somewhat. And they're doing it in a big way this past Wednesday with the... AEW Super Wednesday debate between Orange Cassidy and Chris Jericho, which was really fun. It was definitely a lot more meta and a lot more in humor, inside jokes and inside baseball that I think all the smarts are going to love it up. But I still wasn't necessarily a fan of the fact that they went ahead, they said, hey, let's go ahead and have fun with this and make it like a debate and make it almost in the same kind of vein as how CNN, a sister's channel, of the Turner Broadcasting Network, which basically has everything in the world. TBS Superstation, TNT, CNN, all were owned at one point by Ted Turner, part of Time Warner now. But I can still say right here, right now, I was disappointed by everything that happened with the the fact they did that. And then I believe the week before, they ran a very much more political angle. I can't remember exactly what it was, because I'll say this. AEW Dynamite... Not this past week, but the week before was probably one of the worst ones I've seen of this early era. Because you had Cody Warhorse, which was a lot of fun. I was hyped up as hell about it. But it just did not necessarily deliver in the way I expected. But going back to the debate angle, it was awesome. Like It was so much fun to see Orange Cassie actually speak and speak in full sentences and actually seem to give a damn. And now they're building up towards Jericho versus Cassidy part two. And hopefully Cassidy does get the win because... I'd love for something else to happen with both these guys. And who knows if Chris Jericho is even going to be there because he definitely deserves to be like shamed into oblivion for him being a complete idiot. And it definitely raises a lot of questions what he did involving making an appearance for a Fozzie concert in the middle of a pandemic and out of the fact there was a packed house at two straight shows they had, no masks, no social distancing, just pretty much saying a little bit of the COVID for everybody. And that was such a big mistake. And I'm sure he's gonna. He's already regretting it. He's almost certain AEW is like, we're not gonna have you on the show for a couple weeks, dude. You need to go get quarantined and pretty much like shut down the rest of your tour, like any smart, sane person would. And it frustrates me because I love Chris Jericho. His character is great. His personality, everything in between. But I think the more he's become obsessed with being the rock star gimmick, he has proven himself time and again to be complete idiocy with some of these situations instead of oh hey i'm gonna go ahead and shut down the touring stuff until next year have it be in 2021 start up full swing and we'll be able to be back to some form of normalcy at least somewhat and you run a show with certain number of attendants and it's socially distant and maybe it's in a bigger venue like maybe an outdoor arena that way people can be spread out a lot more and make sure masks are required it was a dumb move, and I don't know who necessarily to blame. It could be partially on the record label, the touring company that Foz is a part of, but I feel like Chris Jericho, as the kind of lead singer of the group that's definitely spent a lot of time yelling and doing all these things and singing and releasing all those air droplets, it's not the best look in the world. And hopefully everything's fine with Jericho and he's good to go, but it's definitely could very well be a bad look for AEW if Orange Cassidy and Chris Jericho happens and then we find out a few days later that Chris Jericho did actually have COVID-19 I would hope that's not the case but it's something you have to at least consider during these weird times 
where we're seeing Chris Jericho out there performing live in front of a huge crowd of people at a Fozzie concert while anybody and being in close quarters with somebody like Orange Cassie or any of the other AEW superstars. There's a question to be had when it comes to that, but hopefully nothing comes of this. But it feels like more likely than not, something will. Welcome back to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Appreciate you listening in. And I've talked a lot about what's going on with the WWE and AEW and what's happened with them. But I've got a lot of other things to talk about concerning some, some pro wrestling. Especially with New Japan because they dropped their announcement for G1 Climax 30. I was blown away by the fact that they wound up announcing G1 Climax 30. It is officially going to happen and I'm interested to see how things are going to look. Because, again, this is 2020. We haven't seen the full list yet. But we know the dates of how this whole thing is going to be going on. It'll start on September 19th through October 18th. And the final three days of the tournament will be held at Raigoku Kokugigan. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. But it's going to be the first time it'll be held in the summer. But in the autumn. This was originally because of the Summer Olympics that were going to be going down. Thank- thankfully they already had something mapped out on that. But they just had to kind of move things around and schedule out the G1 Climax 2020. Now, we're going to find out eventually who the people that are going to be participating in this reports are. Possibly, you have Will Ospreay involved in this somewhere. But again, I'll start on September 18th. Osaka, Japan is going to be the site for that. No news on the best of Super Juniors. But the fact they're going to have that makes you think that they could very well have an opportunity for guys like Will Ospreay and other Super Juniors who would be in the BOSJ, but now are going to be in the G1 Climax in a few months' time. So hopefully we get a little more information about that. And I'll end on this note, because I talked about it a few episodes ago, whenever the, the this whole thing first started, with Pat McAfee and Adam Cole, Bebe, whenever they had the whole worked angle with the WWE and NXT and Pat McAfee, to build towards Adam Cole versus Pat McAfee for NXT TakeOver 30. They already have the deep lore of everything that's going on with these two guys going back and forth on social media and as well as going back and forth during TakeOvers or the social media watch party or what have you. We know those two straight up don't like each other on camera, but the second you saw it on the Pat McAfee show, you knew that thing was an absolute work. And then they wound up going one step further, inviting Pat McAfee over to the NXT Performance Center and then he did commentary during the NXT Tag Team title match with the Undisputed Era taking on Imperium. And it was a damn good tag team match. But it's all about what happened in towards the end of the match with Adam Cole and Pat McAfee. And then it ended up with McAfee punting Adam Cole in the head. And Adam Cole sold that like death. Well done by him. But it was definitely an absolute banger of a match between Imperium and Undisputed Era. But I think at the end of the day, it was definitely kind of swept under the rug. Because of the fact they had so many different things going on with Adam Cole and Pat McAfee and the almost pull-apart brawl that could have ensued, but it didn't. Then again, Adam Cole definitely deserved it for throwing the water at Adam at Pat McAfee. Excuse me. But I loved this angle, and I'm hoping we get to see a really fun match. It's not going to necessarily be a five-star match by any means, but this is going to be a great main event type match and a great kind of novelty to make people interested in NXT TakeOver 
And hopefully that kind of leads to some ratings bumps because they have been struggling over the last few weeks post-Great American Bash where they kind of took over the conversation, but AEW's took it right back, especially when it comes to those 18 to 34 demos that everybody talks about. In fact, Chris Jericho's got the shirt, Demo God, and I'm sure we'll wind up seeing some great things coming from the fact that the demo has been absolutely great and Orange Cassidy has continued to get over, and we were seeing a lot more fun stuff in terms of the Wednesday Night War. It's not necessarily like cold-blooded, but we get to see a lot of fun wrestling on a Wednesday night, and I spend my entire day just like taping stuff to watch the next morning because I've got Big Brother and a lot of other stuff I like to watch whenever it's on now. So I'm just looking forward to the fact that we have pro wrestling, one, in our lives, and number two, the fact that we have pro wrestling that's fun and we're getting closer to SummerSlam in just a few weeks' time. Going to try and get a guest on to preview that and a whole lot more. But we appreciate the hell out of you for listening in to the Cage Strong Style Podcast. Make sure, if you're on iTunes, leave us a five-star review. If you're in the Tokyo Dome, more power to you. Leave us a six-star rating. Make sure that people know the fact that you can listen to us through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, AudioMac, 1037Game.com, the free mobile app. We got so many ways to listen to us. You have no excuse not to be checking out Cajun Strong Style Podcast, where we talk to you about the latest in pro wrestling.